Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Academic Operations Podcast. Today's topic is measuring the impact of academic operations on student success. And we are super lucky today to have an amazing guest, Ian Wishmeyer, who's joining us from Northern Arizona University. He is the University Registrar at NAU. Ian, welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. We would love to dive right into it and talk about academic operations. So we recently did some work with NAU to look at how streamlining their scheduling process and leveraging new technology benefited the institution and students. Ian, I know your team's done a lot of work examining the scheduling process to get improvements in sort of student success related to the scheduling process. To start, what does a reduction in course conflicts mean to your students? And what were some of the issues students previously ran into as a result of course conflicts? So let's even just take a step and define course conflicts, because for many of our PeopleSoft schools, when we think of a course conflict, we're thinking very specifically about one course scheduling time overlapping with another. And I think for the purposes of this conversation, we are speaking of essentially scheduling errors or scheduling inaccuracies, however we would like to put that. And the biggest piece with course conflicts or scheduling conflicts on a schedule or errors is it breaks away the efficiency in a schedule in which a student is trying to build and schedule their courses. So anytime we have errors on the schedule, that means that a student might not have the most accurate courses to place on their schedule. The second piece in this is when we think about the entire, say, timeline that a schedule is built for a student to schedule their classes. I know I said that in a very odd way. That production, it can be anywhere from six months to a year that any institution works with class schedulers to go from a concept of what the class schedule will be to placing it within our student information system to then actually placing it in a place where a student can see it to when they schedule their classes. So when we look at that entire timeline as a process, if we can decrease those conflicts earlier, we are decreasing the error rate on the back end. We're increasing our efficiency in building our entire schedule in every step of the process because we are finding either those errors earlier or we are actually just producing a better product on the front end earlier so that we don't have those same course conflicts and errors on the back end. It makes a lot of sense. When you have conflicts, it probably means that there's some degree of inefficiency, whereas when things are very accurate, it actually probably means you're being a lot more efficient. So I love that as sort of a measurement for success. Or we could be very efficient at making inaccurate schedules, right? Right. right. <laughs> I say that as a joke because that some of this is also predicated on the idea that we're putting the schedule out that students need mm. on time, right? I think the challenge for all of us as institutions is 
how do we ensure that we get the best schedule produced that our students need to graduate mm. and to fill the needs of their schedule, right? Mm. And I'm sorry for breaking in with that. Please continue your thought. No, no, no. I think that that makes a ton of sense. I'd love to actually, one of the things I've always admired about NAU is I know that you folks have in a, a large number of student policies with the goal, obviously, not just of policy work, but of student success. I'd love for you to just share a little bit about kind of how those rules or policy works and what were some of the challenges that you had on implementing those rules or policies across campus? So, and I assume we want to frame this in the procedures and policies around building a schedule, right? Yes. For schedule of classes. Yes. And I would say that we implemented many business procedures and rules around that. And I think to better give an idea of an answer for this, let me just kind of take a step back and explain where we were, say, six years ago and where we are now. And I say that because we started out with a very decentralized scheduling model. And within that decentralized scheduling model, the Office of the Registrar ran reports and tried to help all of the different academic colleges, departments, and units build an efficient schedule. However, all the scheduling has been very decentralized. We went through a time period where we put together a centralized scheduling model. And within that centralized scheduling model, our Office of the Registrar Schedule of Classes team facilitates and assists all of those units with building their schedules. So this is essentially a group that in the office of the registrar are an expert on the student information system, an expert on the timelines. We train our different academic units. We also provide reports and we assist them with course dog. So we are the central facilitator and they schedule the courses themselves within the timelines through course dog. The reason I set that system up is in getting to that place, that's where we learned about say those rules. And the single biggest item that we found when we went to this model was that we had many courses not following our standard meeting patterns. Mm. And this was very simple that when we implemented Course Dog as our tool, we could encourage our academic units and departments to use those standardized meeting patterns. And we understand there are going to be many times in which they're not, However, this helps and assists in following those standard meeting patterns for the 80%. So that was a big one that we saw that we needed a policy and a process around. So following standardized meeting patterns. We saw this very specifically as well with variable unit courses. So 
we have classes that are set up that a student can enroll in anywhere from say one to three units. And then when those classes are scheduled for some programs, they're 90% of the time going to be three units and they set them as three units. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a student might be able to work with their instructor and have literally one to three units. Well, this becomes highly problematic if these aren't scheduled or the student doesn't enroll within them in the right amount of units. Mm -hmm. Because then what happens at the end of the semester, if they enrolled in a one unit course and it should have been three units all along, and they did three units of work, that puts the university in a place in which now we are increasing the units on that student and that might increase their tuition. They might not have financial aid to cover that tuition. Mm. So that very specifically speaks to a student's tuition and money. And that's a place that we want to be really careful. And I don't like affecting people's money. Mm. So I would say those two are two sort of larger well, the first one is larger. The second one is something that can happen in very small amounts. But if it happens, it has a huge impact for our students. Can I ask you, and, you know, I think a lot of registrars, obviously, the nature of the registrar role is often that there is too much work to do. And that oftentimes, everyone will complain and come to the registrar's office to complain, the students, the faculty, et cetera, et cetera. I think a lot of registrars are like, I barely have the time, you know, to be able to get my data in my student information system. Like, how did you think about the why it was so important to sort of have this more centralized scheduling process? And like, what would you respond to someone who would say, well, you know, I don't have that kind of time to be able to support such an intensive governance process around the academic schedule? I think there's a couple things. The time that that takes is not going to magically appear, right? We can't make more time. Mm. However, there are a couple things that we can do. The first one is we've been very fortunate that we have academic affairs through our provost and our vice provost that are committed to resources for scheduling classes. Mm -hmm. The second thing is pairing that with the right technology. Because trying to go in and do this work and do this in a centralized fashion without that and just manage PeopleSoft is unwieldy. Yeah. People, right? PeopleSoft is a great student information system. It, it lends powerful data that can be used and a really powerful level of processes that can be leveraged. However, the intuition for a person who might be doing this for 50% of their job or 25% of their job, or a chair in an academic unit that is managing this with their other roles to do all of this work solely in PeopleSoft and to try and facilitate that, we spend an exponential amount of time explaining PeopleSoft and PeopleSoft doesn't have any layering of rules or security worked into this. So when we give someone the ability to schedule classes, they're getting a large array of security and ability to do their work. Hmm. 
leveraging with the right technology, which can help you manage this, right? right? So when we speak about what Course Dog did for us in this, Course Dog gave us the ability to simplify the tool that all of these disparate users are utilizing. And that is huge. It was able to click a button and get many of those items into their schedule as we would like. So they're not tangling and wrestling with PeopleSoft. So between the rules and also, again, simplifying PeopleSoft, those two things helped us out immensely. Within that though, you know, like most technology, there's this paradox that we think because of the manufacturing industry, the technology is going to take away jobs. However, in our world, what technology does is it often changes our work so it can be more efficient. So this allows people to train, to build training documentation, and to work with those academic units to do this. So I guess there's a few things. Leveraging the right technology and being able to work with your academic leadership up through your provost to embrace the value in accurate class scheduling and what these tools can do and how resourcing a registrar's office to do this can have a benefit mm. down the line for students. Mm. I love the way that you talked about that combination of, you know, kind of leadership technology and, and then buy-in. I think it was really well phrased and it's something I know a lot of schools are thinking about as they go through these types of change management processes. And I'd love to switch gears a little bit and talk about when you folks build the class schedule, what kinds of students are you thinking about? Are there specific student groups to whom, to whose consideration you are thinking a lot about, would love to learn anything about, you know, in startups, we always think about our ideal customer profile. Like this is who we're building our product for, you know, <laughs> right. registrar at NAU. Like who do you think is your ideal customer profile or your ideal person that you're scheduling for, if that makes sense, or trying to be considerate of? So that is a really good question. At NAU, just in case the listeners aren't aware, we have countless campuses around the state. We have a robust online population. We have around 25,000 students on our Flagstaff Mountain campus. So we have a large profile of students attending in person online, attending in person throughout the state. We have a large population of non-traditional students. We have graduate programs. We have an honors college. We have ROTC programs. And I know much of this isn't very different than many other institutions out there. However, when it came to building the schedule, we, of course, start, as you referenced, by thinking about the 80%. But as far as some of those other populations we had to think about, a lot of this comes into our non-standard meeting patterns. Mm. So our ROTC programs often need non-standard meeting patterns. We have to also think about some of our programs that are very sort of lock-stepped and prescriptive, like our engineering programs. 
in that we want as accurate as a schedule that we can have because if an engineering student doesn't have a course in one semester, that might delay their entire graduation another year because of co-requisites, prerequisites for the intensive nature of those courses. We have an honors program in which we do some unique things with honors options for coursework for students. So we have those items. Then we also have our class scheduling around the state. And there's a separate team outside of the registrar's office, which we work with very intensively on scheduling those classes. Some of the other things that we have to really even think about and consider when we think about those special populations is that some of these programs, many of them have very non-traditional students and their coursework might be catering, say, a Friday evening at 6 p.m. And that might not follow that standard meeting time. And they might meet once a week for five weeks. And that might be a three or a four hour class. So these are all very different populations that we're thinking about when we build these schedules. And I would just add that there is not necessarily a golden ticket to meeting every population's needs. What you really just need to be able to do is be as efficient and agile with your class scheduling processes as possible Mm. and be as accurate on the front end. Because if for that 80% of your classes that meet standard meeting patterns, if you have that moving really well, then it makes working with those areas that don't fall into those easy buckets much more efficient. And I think it's pretty amazing how well you know some of those alternative student populations. Like it's fascinating to me how much these minor things like, you know, introducing non-standard meeting patterns for an ROTC group. It's one of those things that again is like super small in the grand context of scheduling, but can have a massive impact on folks' lives and it always feels to me like a huge opportunity for a lot of schools to improve. And it's pretty amazing to hear the way that you're thinking about that. You know, we've talked about a couple of the different ways by which you think about improvement. You've talked about reduction, course conflicts. You know, we've talked about accuracy. We didn't talk that much, but obviously there's overfilled sections. I know at NAU with Coursehog, they were able to reduce overfilled sections by quite a few. Like, how do you think about measuring the success of the schedule. I know that you mentioned a lot of your departments, you're sending them reports, creating reports for them. How do you think about measuring scheduling success either centrally or at the departmental level? I think the first litmus, and this is gonna sound very rudimentary and not very advanced, but it's really how many things are we requesting to be fixed? in one build cycle? And do we have a decrease in those items the next year? And I know that's not very sophisticated, but we run around 80 data integrity queries or reports two to three times a semester for one build. So we are running a large amount of reports to gather that. And if we can decrease the amount of data that we're sending out in those reports, Mm -hmm. 
that is huge. And to have less errors means less time spending doing that piece. I think the other thing that we also look at, and you had referenced overfilled sections, is that we look at many of these overfilled, that the concept of classrooms being filled from a standpoint of building and then fulfilling our class limit needs for each classroom. Because like any institution, we have fire restrictions, we have safety restrictions per class. But the other piece in all of this, when it comes to our classroom management and not having every single building filled with high capacity classes and high amounts of students is that if we find out that there's asbestos in a building or if something happens to a building and we need to move classes out of a building and we have too too many students focused in one building then that puts a high level of work in redistributing that. So there's always this risk assessment that we're looking at with how many classes, how full are those classes that are being scheduled per building. So that's a large focus is really distributing that space efficiently. Could I ask Ian about the 80 queries for data integrity? Yes. I think that's fascinating. Like, could you give me some examples of what some of those look like? <laughs> yes. So those are everything from low enrollment on classes. Those are anything from classes that are scheduled with variable units that maybe should not be scheduled as variable units, which I referenced earlier. Those may be queries that look for meeting pattern times that look like they're incorrect. They might be a special topics class without a special topic assigned. They may be, I'm trying to think of another one off the top of my head. With 80, you think I would remember more of them. Of course, they might all blend together with, <laughs> with that many queries. We also look at what time are classes scheduled and are we using one meeting pattern predominantly by course. Hmm. So are we scheduling all of our, say, our chemistry 151 sections at the exact same time of the day during the week? And then that doesn't end, lend for flexibility for other students to schedule classes or just any student to schedule that class at that hmm. point. That's so fascinating. And, and can you share, is it you run those queries after the initial build or what does that look like? I think it's fascinating. It's something I know a lot of schools will do data integrity checks, but I often find that process is very informal. And I love how structured of a framework you have around it, because I'm sure it probably improves data integrity a lot, but would love to hear kind of the timeline and the way that you run those checks. So we do that by our build cycle. And within each build cycle, we have multiple marks. And really that final mark is when the classes are visible, a student can enroll as we're leading up to the term. So if you think about it this way, from the, our original build cycle in which our academic schedulers are building and entering those classes in PeopleSoft, that is a phase where we do maybe we, we do data integrity checks, but that's a little bit more minimal than when we start getting down the line. And that is also because we want to be efficient. 
We don't want to be sending data integrity notifications really early when areas are still building their schedules, right? We might be sending them information and they might be saying, look, we know we haven't gotten to that yet. So we wait until we get closer down the line to those academic units finalizing their schedule and then we assign classrooms. Then after we assign classrooms, we still run some other checks leading up to the term, the term beginning. So we run these multiple times of build, which is also multiple times a semester. Yep. And one thing I'll say too, is that we have these reports coming from multiple places. We have PeopleSoft queries built, and we have enterprise reports built, which is from our data warehouse. And our data warehouse, any of our class schedulers can run those reports. And we have probably around 15 reports in there that they can run. And then we also have within that, while there's 15 reports and they go down into much more detail, they can also run one report and filter out some of those details from those other reports. So we're giving that data in two different ways Hmm. so that they can also run it, not only us running them. That makes a ton of sense. Could I ask a a kind of strange question? Yeah. A thing I hear from many universities is that no one thinks that scheduling is fun. How have you tried to make scheduling more fun for the people who are doing scheduling? Wow, that is a great question and something you're right. We don't think about how to make scheduling fun. (laughs) Oh, wow. I can tell you within... How do you think about uh, it even if it's not fun? Like, right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I guess here's the thing. Here's the first thing that comes to my mind is if I was going to think about this from being a scale of being fun, fun would be that there are improvements and ease in what we are all trying to do. And I think that's kind of that first level. Then the second level is how do we communicate? and collaborate with the schedulers around campus. And if we're not trying to make improvements and we're not getting better at what we're doing, it's hard to make it fun. But then the second piece is trying to have communication that is helpful trying to add humor when we can, when we work with our stakeholders and the different class schedulers around campus, because inherently this isn't fun. And I think inherently a challenge often from the office of the registrar is we have a reputation, like we're going to send you an email and we're going to be talking on high, pointing our finger at what you should be doing. So we spend a lot of time with our communication and very specifically for this area to really try and emphasize that we are facilitating schedule building and we are all partners in this, whether we're in the, in the office of the registrar or in our College of Social and Behavioral Sciences. So maybe not really fun in a traditional sense, but trying to add some level of enjoyment in it. And I think inherently, I can't emphasize again that I think what many of us find fun and exciting are improvements and efficiency and just 
doing better than we did before. Hmm. I think I'll leave our listeners with that. How do you make scheduling fun? I think that's a philosophical question. Maybe at another time, Ian, I'd have to learn what (laughs) your definition of a traditional sense of fun is. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, for joining us. This has been our episode on measuring the impact of academic operations on student success. And Ian, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. Thank you for joining. Thank you, Justin. This podcast is brought to you by CourseDog. We empower academic administrators at more than 100 institutions with an integrated academic operations platform that supports on-time completions and operational excellence with academic and event scheduling, course demand projections, curriculum management, and online catalog solutions that integrate bi-directionally with your SIS. Learn more at CourseDog.com.